the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. LCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Download the Faith Talk Tampa app. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. Now, before we proceed any further, I want us to stop here and consider what it means to be meek or what it means to be gentle because there is so much misunderstanding of this term meekness. And if we don't understand what it means to be meek, then we're going to miss what the Holy Spirit through David has to say to us in Psalm 37. Meekness. It's not the same as weakness. In fact, it isn't even close. I once heard about a Christian humorist who joked that he was going to start a group of submissive people called doormats. That stands for Dependent Organization of Really Meek and Timid Souls, if there are no objections. And their motto would be, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with everybody. But as we'll discover today on Verse by Verse, the Greek word in our New Testaments that's usually translated as meek, humble, or gentle, actually has to do with strength that's under control, especially in a biblical sense, under God's control. My Greek dictionary comments, thus meekness toward evil people means knowing God is permitting the injuries they inflict that he is using them to purify his elect, and that he will deliver his elect in his time. I'm glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our current study series is titled Fret Not Because of Evildoers, and our main text is from Psalm 37. Like us, King David saw and even experienced the unfairness of life. Decent people victimized by the ruthless and the ruthless oppressors seeming to flourish and thrive as they spit in God's eye and prey on his people. But David also saw the future. He saw that God will balance his account ledger. Things will not continue as they are. Relax, David says, the Lord will intervene when the time is right. Interestingly, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus used language very similar to David's when he said, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. We need to try to always take the long view when injustice seems to prevail. Now, here's Pastor Steve. We continue our study of Psalm 37, so I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 37. And as I suggested to you last week, this psalm helps us to understand what Jesus meant, what he was talking about when he said in the third beatitude in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. See, this expression, inherit the earth, or you could say inherit the land, it's essentially the same thing. It's found several times in Psalm 37, with verse 11 sounding almost exactly like the third beatitude. It says, but the humble will inherit the land. That sounds very similar to what our Lord said. Therefore, it seems obvious that in giving this third beatitude, Jesus was simply echoing it's just echoing the same message that David gave a long time ago in Psalm 37. And what was this message? Well, as we discovered, David wrote Psalm 37 to teach 
the believers of his day, the believers in Israel, how to respond to the wicked prospering, doing so well, thriving, having so much material success, and they, the righteous, suffering. They were suffering. This is the reason, if you'll notice, he begins the psalm with the words, do not fret because of evil doers, be not envious toward wrongdoers. David is king over the people. He cared about their welfare. He was not an isolationist. He cared about his people's welfare, both physically as well as spiritually. Therefore, he was concerned because he saw so many godly believers in Israel being upset and angry, which is what fretting means, to be upset, to be hot under the collar, because many of their countrymen had no regard for the the Lord or for his law, yet they were thriving, as I said, materially, while they, those who were trying to follow the Lord, were not. They were doing quite poorly by comparison. But not only were they upset over the prosperity of the wicked, but verse 1 reveals they were envious too, envious because they wanted what the others had. They wanted to experience the same kind of material success that the evildoers were enjoying. And if that wasn't enough, they were also suffering at the hands of these evildoers, being persecuted with the intent of being killed by them. And still, these wicked individuals went right on prospering. If you look at verse 12, you'll see where David says, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. That was the attitude. That's what was going on. Verse 14, the wicked have drawn the sword and bent their bow to cast down the afflicted and the needy to slay those who are upright in conduct. So that's what they were struggling with. This was the attitude of many of the believers in Israel in King David's day. They were angry. They were upset. They were jealous. They were worried. They were just plain confused over why God would allow them to suffer and the wicked to prosper. It's an age-old issue. But David, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, wrote Psalm 37 in order to help these struggling believers. And the way he does this, note this, the way he does this is to help them to think accurately, to think accurately about the wicked and about God himself, who very likely they were upset with too, because after all, they must have interpreted what they thought was his indifference to their problem. Now, if Jesus was indeed echoing the message of Psalm 37 in his third beatitude, which certainly seems the case because of the similarities of language and expression, then what David was doing in this psalm was teaching believers how to not fret over evil men, watch this, by teaching them to be meek and gentle. In other words, when Jesus said, Blessed are the gentle or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He was saying that a meek person is the kind of person that David was describing in Psalm 37. And those who are meek are the people who will make up his kingdom on earth. So the character quality of meekness characterizes all believers, at least to some degree. Now, before we proceed any further, I want us to stop here and consider what it means to be meek or what it means to be gentle, because there is so much misunderstanding of this term, meekness. And if we don't understand what it means to be meek, then we're going to miss what the Holy Spirit through David has to say to us in Psalm 
37. So first of all, let's consider what Jesus meant when he called those who are blessed meek, or as the version that I use, the New American Standard Bible translates this word, gentle. Other English Bibles have different translations for this particular Greek word. Some render it gentle spirit. Others say the word humble or mild. In fact, John Wycliffe, the first man to translate portions of the Bible into English, didn't translate the whole Bible, but portions of the Bible into English, he translated this beatitude, blessed be mild men. But regardless, listen, of how this word is translated, we all tend to be a bit uncomfortable with the concept of meekness. Why? Because meekness in English seems to always be associated with weakness. In fact, it kind of rhymes, meekness, weakness. Now, let's be honest. When we hear that term, that someone is meek, we do do tend to think of them, of a spineless individual, wishy-washy, timid, a pushover. Meekness just has the ring of someone being shy and withdrawn personality. And if used of a man, it does sound a bit effeminate. Say he is a meek man. To describe an individual as meek in our culture is not considered a compliment. It conjures up images of a Casper milquetoast, someone who's been defined as a man who strains himself in squishing a grape. Get the picture? That's, that's kind of the, the connotation of meekness. I want you to know, though, that regardless of our association of meekness with weakness, that is not what Jesus was talking about. It's not what the word meek or gentle or, or humble means. See, this particular Greek word used by the Holy Spirit in the third beatitude is actually a very difficult word to to translate into English from the Greek because it has just such a wide range of meaning. In fact, one scholar actually said that this is the untranslatable word simply because it takes more than than one English word to, to convey its full meaning. So the question is, how then can we figure out what Jesus meant when he spoke of someone being gentle or meek. Well, one way to unravel the biblical concept of meekness is to see how this word was used in ancient secular Greek literature. In the Greek world outside of the Bible, how was it used? Because the way we determine the meanings of of words is to see how they're used. Now, keep in mind that Bible writers did not invent their their own words didn't invent their dictionaries. They used the common language of their day to express profound theological truths. So if we can see how this word was used in other literature, it'll go a long way to helping us to understand the meaning of the term meekness or gentleness and how it relates to us. Now, this word shows up in a number of places in Greek literature describing either someone or something that was extremely powerful, but was now under control, as opposed to being out of control and destructive. For example, the ancient Greek people used this word to describe a powerful wild horse that had been tamed. It was also used to describe a soothing medicine as well as a gentle breeze. Now, all three of these objects have one thing in common. Though they are strong and powerful, They're certainly not weak. They're certainly not what we would call timid. All three have been brought under control. An untamed horse is a wild animal, but under 
control. It is a tame and really domesticated animal. Medicine has the power to kill, but gentle, soothing medicine is very helpful. Wind has the potential to be destructive, as in storms and hurricanes, but a gentle breeze, that's a pleasant thing. So based on the ancient Greek usage of this word, we learn that meek people, far from being weak people, are strong individuals who are submissive to God and they are under his control. In other words, they're no longer wild and unmanageable. They've been tamed. They've been brought under submission to the authority of their master, the Lord Jesus himself. And so when Jesus said, blessed are the gentle, he means blessed are those who are under God's control and in submission to him. Now, one of the most dramatic illustrations of meekness in action is found in an incident in the life of Moses as recorded for us in Numbers chapter 12. Let me read to you verses 1 through 3. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. Now, the reason this passage is so important for our study is that it illustrates how meekness behaves, how how meekness acts when it's criticized. Because we read here that Moses... When it says the most humble, he was the meekest, the the meekest man on the earth at that time. In all the world, in all the population at that time, there was nobody more meek and gentle than the man Moses. In this story, we read that the siblings of Moses, Aaron and Miriam, those were his siblings, brother and sister, they rebelled against Moses being the leader of Israel and the one through whom God spoke. They apparently wanted to have a share in ruling over the Jewish nation. But what I want you to notice is the very reason that they spoke against Moses. This is significant. Verse 1 says that they spoke against Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. Now, apparently, by this time, Moses' first wife, a woman by the name of Zipporah, had died. And his new wife was a woman. We're not given her name, but she was a woman from the land of Cush, which was an ancient name for Ethiopia. So it would appear that Moses was married to a black woman, and this offended his siblings. So we read on. Verse 4, Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out of the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. When they had both come forward, he said, Hear now my words, if there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He's faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed." Now, what we read here is that God met with all three of them, with Aaron and Miriam and Moses, and he reiterated to them that Moses was his chosen leader. Moses was his special 
servant, and that he was angry with Aaron and Miriam for speaking against their brother. As the story continues, we see that God, in his anger, pronounced a judgment upon Miriam. Why Miriam? Well, apparently she was the instigator of this rebellion. So we continue, verse 10. But when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. As Aaron turned towards Miriam, behold, she was leprous. Then Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. O do not let her be like one dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Moses cried to the Lord saying, O God, heal her, I pray. Now God's judgment upon Miriam was that he made her a leper so that her skin was white. In fact, it says white as as snow. It's most fitting, most appropriate punishment for her because as you'll recall, what was her problem? Miriam's problem with Moses was that he had married a woman whose skin was black. So God made her skin white. Here's the way James Montgomery Boyce, with great insight, explains what was happening. He says, the text says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. In other words, he says, God said to Miriam, you're offended because your brother married a black woman? You're brown and you think light is better than dark? Why not be white then? See how you like it. So the judgment was so horrible, so horrible, that Aaron pleaded for Miriam with Moses. And Moses then, we read, interceded to the Lord and Miriam was healed. The story, we don't have to read it, but the story goes on in Numbers to say that God did heal her after a little while, after a little while. Now, the reason I want you to see the story is because of the way that Moses reacted to his brother and sister. They rebelled against him. They insulted his wife. They challenged his authority. But his reaction was not to get angry. His reaction was not to fight back. His reaction was not to defend himself. Instead, he prayed for his sister to be healed. And the reason he reacted this way is because Moses was a meek and humble Man, that's why the text in this very passage tells us that. This is how humility responds. Now, Moses was meek, he was humble, therefore his strength was under God's control because he was in submission to God. And I remind you, Moses was not a weakling. Moses was not a pushover. He was a strong man. His strength, we see it in the way he stood up to Pharaoh. Many times he said, let my people go, and he did not back down. He refused to go away until Pharaoh gave him the request. But his strength was under control because he was a meek man, the meekest man on the face of the earth at that time. Now, if we put all this together then, that Jesus was voicing in his beatitude the same message about meekness that David wrote about in Psalm 37, then we would have to conclude that what David was teaching his generation of believers was that the way to not fret over evil men is by being under God's control and in submission to God himself. In other words, he was teaching them how to be meek, how to be humble, by teaching them what a meek 
and humble individual is like, how he acts, how he behaves, how they react to problems, especially the problem of the prosperity of the wicked and of their own personal suffering. That's exactly what we see, folks, in Psalm 37. This is a psalm that instructs us about how to keep from getting upset when ungodly people prosper, and we don't. And it does this by teaching us how those who are meek keep from fretting and worrying and being envious and jealous of others who have more than we do. Now, as you recall from our study last session, we saw that in the opening section of this psalm, which consists of the first 11 verses of the psalm, David gives us two ways to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked. First of all, he tells us to look ahead to the future. To look ahead to the future. Notice verse 2. For they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Now what David is telling us in this verse, and something that he'll repeat throughout this psalm, is that the way to keep from being upset over the prosperity of the wicked is to look ahead and see what the future holds for the wicked. Because their future is quite bleak. Quite bleak, like the grass of the field which flourishes only for a season and then it quickly withers. So the success of the wicked, David is saying, is very brief. It's fleeting. It's only here for a season. In other words, their time in the sun will soon be over because they are going to die. And that's the end of their prosperity and success forever. See, what David wants us to do is to get the big picture of what's in store for unbelievers. While they may enjoy some luxuries in this world, it's only temporary. It'll soon pass because their lives will soon pass. And when their lives end, they will be judged for their sins forever in hell. Now that's the future of the wicked. And if you can keep that in mind, you won't fret over anything or anyone in what they enjoy now. Because this is a sobering thought because the wicked will never enjoy another moment once they die. Not another moment. See, without this eternal perspective, it it is easy to get upset over the circumstances in this world. But that's why the Bible keeps stressing that we need to think of the long view of eternity and we conduct our lives in light of not what's happening around us now, but in light of eternity. We humans have a tendency to think that things will continue as they are. In fact, the Apostle Peter had to deal with that in response to those claiming that Jesus was not going to return. In 2 Peter 3, Peter said that they asked, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Peter reminded them about the flood and the promise of another judgment yet to come, and it will bring destruction upon the ungodly. It may not be the first thing we think of when we or a loved one fall prey to wicked people, but that long view can be a real morale booster. You've been listening to Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Bringing his practical, expository Bible lessons to listeners like you is the reason for Verse by Verse. We hope they'll help you as you face the challenges of life as a Christ follower. If they have been a help, it would encourage us to hear from you. And I'm sure the manager of this radio station would also be excited to hear that they are helping you grow by airing verse by verse. 
By the way, if you have questions about your faith, we'd be delighted to help you find the answers to those questions. You can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714 or email us by writing to contact at versebyverseradio.org. For more information or to take advantage of our large audio library, go to versebyverseradio.org. If you're in or near Clearwater, we'd like to invite you to come see us some Sunday. Warm welcomes are the norm, and as you might expect from hearing verse by verse, solid Bible teaching is the standard. You'll find Lakeside at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. Services start at 1040, but if you'd like to come for Sunday school, that begins at 9 a.m. Or stop in at 6 p.m. for the evening meeting. You can get more details by calling the number I mentioned earlier, 727-441-1714, or direct your web browser to lakesidechapel.com. This is Jerry Peterson. We've all heard the old gag about the person who wrote a book called Humility and How I Attained It. If we think of humility as a low opinion of ourselves, then that's a joke. But is that really what humility is? I would say biblical humility is more accurately an honest opinion of ourselves and our weaknesses combined with a deep appreciation of God's power and goodness. It's not self-doubt, but understanding that greatness is not in us, but can be through us as we humble our... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.